in a series called Untroubled. And in the middle of this, we are recognizing that in this world, we'll have trouble. We see it all the time. It's, it seems to be a constant in our lives, that it's just always, always there. And we understand that in this world, we'll have trouble. But we can take heart because why? He has overcome the world. That in Christ, we can live untroubled in a troubled world. <clears throat> We'd already talked about <clears throat> John 16, 33 and that truth that he is the one who's overcome the world. He is the one who's overcome. Now, has anybody but me had the opportunity to put some of this untroubled stuff into practice? I'm telling you. You ever go to decide that you're going to buy a new car? And you want a particular model, and it's one kind of jumped out at you, and like, this is going to be so awesome, because nobody has one of these. <laughs> Until you decide you're going to get one. And then they're everywhere. You just notice them all over the place. You just see them everywhere, because you're conscious about dealing with it. And honestly, I think this issue of trouble is here. Some of you are like, Pastor Brandon, I get out of this troubled series, because I seem, I seem to see trouble all over the place. <laughs> It's there all the time. We're just used to having our knee-jerk reaction to trouble. We've grown up with trouble around us. We've grown up in a fallen world. We've grown up in things irritating us and pushing our buttons and, and pushing us over the edge and all of these different things. And we have our, our fight-and-flight responses. We have our blow-up at the waitress. Or we have our deal where we quietly sulk and never go back to that restaurant ever again. We have our different things that we deal with with trouble in our lives. And whether we go home and just vent and rage, and some of you need new sheetrock because you punch too many holes in the walls. And um, we have these different issues, and now we're seeing that we don't have to respond the way we've always responded. That yes, there's trouble, but there's this place that we can be at peace because we're going to have to take heart that he has overcome the world. And now this week, I had a moment. Where I was like, Lord, I need this. And I just grabbed a hold of my own stuff. I've been studying. I just grabbed a hold of it with both hands. And um, so my wife and I have a business that she runs. And we have a number of employees. And, and a number of, a few of them are sitting in this room right now. And um, this last week was payroll week, which is always fun. Make sure everything's taken care of. And I um, had a local vendor who we're sitting there and, and um, have, a, have an account with and something messed up on their system and they took a lot of money out of our account. I happened to be on Thursday looking at the deal and I see this amount pending and I'm like, this is not good. This is payroll week. And uh, so I'm like, okay, this is easy. This shouldn't happen. I'll contact. And so I contact the lady, she's very nice. And she says, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know how this happened. And, and she, so we, we drafted your account. We shouldn't have done that. I was like, you're correct. You should not have done that. And um, so that, that's not an argument. And, um, and so she's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll reverse this right now. And hopefully everything will be okay. And it's like, okay, it's still pending. And I call my bank. And I go in and talk to them. And they're like, okay. They reversed it. Everything should wash. And everything should be okay. And I'm like, great. Like check first thing in the morning, so I check first thing in the morning, and the money's hard posted and it's gone. And I'm like, all right. So I contact my bank, and they're like, well, 
um, wow, we were wrong on that one. <laughs> and it didn't work that way. It's probably going to take about 10 days for us to be able to do this. I'm like, hmm. And they're like, maybe you can just at the local vendor, maybe you can go talk to them. I said, great, I will. So I go on this local people, people we do business with, live in San Angelo with. Of course, I'm not there representing you, but I am. Because I'm the pastor. <laughs> and so I go and represent our personal business, and I go in and I sit down, see some of the people I know that are there, and I go into this lady's office, and she's like, I'm so sorry, she's working it. And, and it's like, um, I, I don't know what we're going to be able to do. It still shows, you know, that it's pending on our end. I'm like, mm. I'm being real cool about it. But I'm getting agitated. So they're like, okay, well, let me do this. And I sit there for about half an hour, getting all this stuff going. Finally, they're like, okay, we're going to need to talk to the next person. When the next person comes in, this is a, this is a pretty good sized company. She says, well, okay, this is who's going to refund your, your money. I was like, good, because I need it today. I don't need you to reverse it. It'll take a few days. I, I've got people counting on me. And um, so I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting a lot agitated. And the lady's like, um, Sir, I'm so sorry we did this to you, and you're not going to believe this, but we don't have any checks. Are you serious? And man, I'm just sitting there, and, and I seriously, at that moment, I just close my eyes, and I just go back to my studying. My Lord, here, help me. I didn't do anything wrong on my end. They made an honest mistake on their end. They're trying to fix it. But every little fix is coming up like it can't work. And this fix can't work. And this fix can't work. And we can't do this. And I'm like, um, you know what? That money was in that account. I handed these payroll checks out. This money was there. And I'm just getting upset. And so finally they end up getting the VP in. And they bring that person in and they end up being able to take care of it and send me out with a lot of cash and I run this bank and all was great. And, um, and so they were very conscientious, great, great company to deal with, but there was a big snafu. And as each little moment that it wasn't getting taken care of and every little moment I tried to deal with it sweetly and it was not being dealt with. It just kept building and building and building. And every opportunity, I had an opportunity to see it honestly unwind in my own life. And today, <laughs> it's funny enough, that is exactly this happens Friday morning. And that's right as I'm polishing up my notes on what we're dealing with today. Because we're dealing with an untroubled self. See, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 2 says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. At the beginning of this year, we looked at Dear Timmy, part 2. This was the, we went through the book, the letter that Paul wrote to his chief number one disciple, Timothy, his, the second one. We, we tracked all the way through it. So we, we drilled down into this earlier this <clears throat> earlier this uh, this year. But Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's kind of giving him some heads up, and just kind of talking real frank with him. He says, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And he opens up with these marks of things where the wheels really become off. 
when there are things are terrible, that's not just some trouble. That's a lot of trouble, you know? And on Friday morning, I was feeling like I was having, I was looking at a terrible day. And I did not want to have a terrible day. And praise God, I did not have a terrible day. And uh, But here it is that there's this tons of trouble. That's what's mark of, of these terrible times. And he opens up with people will be lovers of themselves. Now, he gives a whole list of other things, and we don't have time to get all into that, but the beginning point, the beginning point is lovers of themselves. This place where we are called our number one and two assignment in life is to love God and love others. And all of a sudden, we take us and we stick us in front of everything else, and it makes everything else fall apart. God designed everything to function at its max for things to be trouble-free when everybody loves God and loves others. Not everybody loves God and loves others in this world, so therefore there's trouble. But all you have control over is your own life. And so if you want to reduce trouble and untrouble, you've got to get it back in the right order and love God and love others instead of it becoming focused on ourselves. See, trouble is accelerated when we focus on ourselves. James 3, let's look at verse 16. It says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, where envy and selfish ambition, we begin to look at what's going on in somebody else's life and we want that for them, from, from them. We want what they've got and we want it for us. It's not having our own dream, our own thing. It's what they've got, I'm envious of it. It creates this thing. And selfish ambition, that all of our dreams and desires and everything where we see our lives moving forward, it's us-centric. We can have ambition. We should have ambition. God's built you bigger than you can imagine. God's built you to have dreams and visions, be able to impact lives and communities way further than you can comprehend. But all that ambition is wrapped up in loving God and loving others. And as soon as you turn that ambition and that drive in the middle, you are inviting trouble. You are inviting it. It says, there you find disorder and every evil practice. As soon as we turn this in on ourselves, we become a trouble-generating machine. All of a sudden, we begin to just tear the wheels off all by ourselves. And thankfully... It doesn't stop right there. James gives us some insight. He says, but the wisdom that comes from, from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. That righteousness word seems like a big, scary, churchy word, but, but it's simply what God says is right. That's what righteousness is. It isn't this little sterile, priestly-looking sanctification thing. It's what God says is right. Things get put in proper order. And that <clears throat> we reap a harvest of things being the way God meant them to be. That is when we begin to look at the real wisdom of God and we shift these things from being us focused to being able to love God and to love others. Folks, if you walk out of here with nothing else today, you said you want to untrouble your life, begin to love God and to love others. 
on a deeper way. Begin to love God and love others in a more significant, challenging way. Loving others is not an easy thing to do. It digs in and it, it taps into all of the God nature that we have on the inside of us. And it turns it all the way up. See, Romans 11 says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Who's ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. For the glory forever. Amen. There's so many times we want to try to make this thing where we take God and we want his results and we want to take God out of it. Paul's telling here, tell us here that the, the wisdom of God, it isn't that you can sit back and you can take notes and you can see how God's done things and you can kind of take it and just implement it on your life on your own and get the God kind of results. That you can sit there and by observation begin to mimic God instead of following God. So what we want to do is that's the we want to, to tap into the God nature on the inside of us that he, when he made us alive in him, he placed his Holy Spirit not near us, not accessible to us, not down the block from us, but it's within us. He's made us new creations of his very spirit within us. And that's why we can sit there and we can begin to rely on the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives and begin to shift. In that moment where I just wanted to scream and, and my nerve, my frustrating nervous response was is laughter. And the more intense I get the more intense the laughter gets, and my wife knows I have this place. She calls it the hyena laugh, and I will like laugh like uncontrollably. Like I'm just, and it's loud, and it's this high. It's this either something's really really funny or something's really really frustrating. It's one or the two. And when I told her with my encounter on Friday, she was like, um. Uh, did you hyena laugh to those people? <laughs> and I said, no, man, I didn't. The Holy Spirit was helping me out. And I did not hyena laugh when they told me they were out of checks. That would normally push me over the edge. And, um, but in that, in that moment, and I just began to, to be able to go, God, I can't handle this on my own. I, I just can't. And begin to lean on the instruction of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, things begin to shift. So right quick, we're going to begin to look at this concept of self-control and what that means. Because it's this misnomer that can lead us off. Because all of a sudden, we throw the word self in there. And all of a sudden, we think, okay, this is the part of this God thing that now is our big, heavy responsibility. Folks, I want to remind you, we did a series on the fruit of the Spirit, and one of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the things the Spirit grows in our lives is self-control. The Holy Spirit produces self-control. This isn't about you mustering up enough determination. This is about you leaning and relying on the work of God and His grace and the Holy Spirit in our lives to be able for us to, to be able to live life in a new and different way. And Romans 12 begins to reveal this. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember, we spent a whole week last week talking about our thoughts and everything, our untroubled thoughts. So much of our trouble starts right between our ears, and we can have our minds renewed by the Spirit. And it helps us not to fall into the old traps and the old patterns. It says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Doesn't that sound like a place we want to have all day, every day? God's good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Whenever we see trouble coming, our hearts should cry out for God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. We understand that he loves us, that he, if he loved us enough to give us Jesus, then there's nothing good he will withhold from us. Then in the middle of our messes and our trouble, that our hearts should go, God, above all, I want your good, pleasing, and perfect will. And for us to be able to begin to do that, we just simply need to do this little place where Paul's teaching the Romans, the Roman believers, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Now, what in the world does that mean? How does that play out? Good old Eugene Peterson in the message translation helps us wrap our minds around it a little bit. Let's look at it in the message. It says, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. That's your life. That's your everyday, Monday through Friday, weekend as well, everything. Thrown in their life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. See, folks, giving God our whole life, that is this place of self-control. We can either say, I'm going to be the one who's steering this thing, or God, I'm going to say, I want your guidance. I need you to do it. And see, folks, self-control is simply giving God control. That's what it is. As giving him control for that place of lordship, let him direct us. Let his opinion be higher than our opinion. Let his ways take a greater precedent in our lives than our own ways. Instead of going to God in prayer, simply trying to get him to do what you want, go to God in prayer to try to discern what he wants. Begin to shift life and begin to live in that place. See, self-control is like a trouble shield for your life. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. That doesn't mean much to us in our day when that's written. We don't have walled cities anymore. So we don't have, we don't have to deal with that. We have a fairly stable government and rule of law and these different things that help protect us from, <clears throat> from, from the different things that would attack us in life. And be able for us to live life and have commerce and do those different things. But back when this was probably was written, it wasn't the case. Somebody with a bigger army and a, and, and a, a tougher bunch of guys could just walk in, take your farm, take whatever. Might made right. And so if they wanted some sort of peace of mind to be able to live life and not glance over their shoulder all the time, they built walls around their cities. And they would shut them up at night. And that was where all, all of life happened. 
That was where the seat of government was. That was where worship took place. That was where you went and did all your trade and your commerce and all of these different things. And these walls brought about this place of protection for all of life. Not just the seed, but for everything. Everything that pertained to life. And what this is telling us is that if you don't lack, if you lack self-control, you're like a city whose walls are just crumbled. Any little thing that attacks has clear access. Every little guy that wanders by wants to be able to pick your pocket, pick your emotions, do these different things. It has free access when that place of self-control is there. Remember, self-control is giving God control. When we take it back on ourselves, all of a sudden, it's like those walls just break down. So we get all these pictures throughout the Psalms of the Lord as a fortress. He's our hiding place. He's our safe place. It's that same concept. See, 2 Corinthians 7, 5 <clears throat> finishes up. It says, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What invited the trouble in this area? Married couples, I want you to go home and read uh, 1 Corinthians 7. Good stuff. And uh, what he's referencing there helping to bring some place of peace and wholeness and life and marriage and the place where trouble is invited is that place of lack of self-control 1 Peter 4 7 says the end of all things is near therefore be clear minded and self-controlled one so that you can pray as we begin to give God control and invite him into that place say God I want you in the middle of this not just when the wheels are coming off but all the time then all of a sudden, trouble gets thwarted, trouble gets pushed back so that we can <clears throat> be clear-minded and we can pray. Self-control is about making life-giving decisions. We talk about this all the time, <clears throat> that we're choosers. And as we begin to give God more and more control and authority in our lives, then we become master choosers. We become better at living this thing called life. And you're like, well, I don't do a whole lot of choosing. Yes, you do. You choose all the time, constantly. Choosing how you respond, choosing what you do with your time, choosing all these different things. And as the Spirit of God begins to direct you in your life, you begin, you begin to, to become a master chooser. And in that all by itself, a lot of the trouble in the world and the trouble begins to be dissipated and pushed back in our lives. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and love. He's not given us this place. So many times when trouble comes, when the look of trouble in our lives comes, it automatically brings that fear response. When we get in that place, we begin to not make life-giving, healthy decisions. We begin to tear the wheels off on our own. But God's not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us this place of power and of love and a sound mind. The, the New International Reader's Version puts it like this, that God didn't give us a spirit that makes us weak and fearful. He gave us a spirit that gives us power and of love. It helps us control ourselves. And then Titus 2 says, For the peace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us <clears throat> to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. I want us to mull on that for just a minute. 
The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. We understand that. And there are those who would say that talking about grace and being grace conscious can lead to a lax relationship with God. There are those that would say that it all of a sudden throws the boundaries out to where there's really no differentiation between a believer and an unbeliever because believer takes this some sort of this grace permission to just live this completely fruitless, goofy life in Christ simply because they can't, because they're forgiven. And that for us to bring that in, we've got to kind of bring the hammer down a little bit and push back this that thing that Man, grace taken too far, and it just just gonna mess you up. Let's look at this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. The grace of God teaches us to say no. It teaches us to say no. My son Weston was a beautiful example of this last year after he hadn't even got his license yet. And um, if anybody knows, my, our, my kids, uh, their first car is, a, is an older um, car. Need some love. Sun blistered. Uh, runs on at least seven of eight cylinders most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Burns a little oil. And it's not good for going out of town, which they're not going to do when they first get their license. And that's what they do. And you take care of that. And you can promote. And after about a year, get something else and you show them take care of it. Got them a car that if they wreck it, I'm not going, oh, the car. I know me. It's a great car. I might do that. And cutie punched me in the mouth and it's terrible. And so, so this way I don't do that. And I'm just, oh, my kid, oh, my kid, oh, my kid. And not worry about the car. And uh, so Weston's getting his license in the green granny is what we call it. Nice 1993 Mercury Grand Marquis, big safe hunk of metal. And uh, so he's going to drive this car. And uh, he hadn't even got his license yet. And some buddies of him had asked him to head off campus lunch and asked him to go um, off campus, walk over to Chick-fil-A and have lunch. And he had not discussed that with us. And so he's like, no, I'm going to stay here. And they're like, no, no, you need to go with us. It'll be okay. Your parents will be fine. He's like, I've not talked to my parents. I'm not going to do that. And so he didn't do it. So I was, you know, told him, I was like, well, you know, son, I really, I really appreciate that. And I really thought that he was afraid that he was going to get in trouble. And in a back doorway he was, but his place where at least he really made me feel awesome <laughs> is that he's like dad he said he said y'all are y'all are about to give me my license and y'all about to trust me with this car and I don't want to do anything to upset that y'all are just being so good and I'm like oh my gosh wow let's get him a better car let's get the selfie and so but it was not man my parents they're going to thump me 
And it's man, they're being good to me, and I don't want to do anything to counter that. Yeah, amen. Man, I'm telling you, it's complaining the ship. When we recognize how good God is to us, this place of gratitude just touches. No, I don't want that mess. He saved me from that. Why would I want to stay there? He released me from that. Why would I want to go back to it? It's destructive to me and anybody that cares for me. Why would I want to go back to that? It teaches me to say no. And to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of God and Savior in Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You know, there would be some people who would maybe listen to my pod, listen to our podcast and go, you know, Brandon, um, I know some people in your church, and, and they do some pretty pretty messed up stuff you know they're, they're not they're not real great you know examples of being believers and, and you really need to get on to your people about this and you really need to drive home this and you really need to preach about this and you shouldn't be doing this you know and somebody might say that but you know what i'm convinced of i'm convinced that if i can help you to know god better and you understand how much he loves you and what all he's done for you and the grace that's been poured out for you and you understand that and you begin to trust him more that the rest of the stuff that doesn't represent the life-giving God we serve will eventually fall off. Amen. And we will love each other until it happens. Amen. You know what? I think that discipleship model works. Yeah. We've sold on it. We've thrown everything behind it and I just believe it works. It changes lives because the grace of God teaches us to say no. See, quickly as we wrap up, self-control helps to untrouble our lives. Even when things are lawful and not harmful, they should still be subjected to three paradigm checks, three little tests. And the first one is, is it helpful? As you're sitting there and you're you're in this place of making decisions, you're operating in this place of self-control, and sometimes things are permissible. But they're not beneficial. They're not helpful. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. The spirit-controlled life lends us towards love. And just because it's okay to do something doesn't mean that that's the best life-giving decision in that moment. So we don't just say, well, I can do it, and it's okay, and, it's and, and it's, I'm allowed to do it. No, we begin to prefer to love God and love others and go, is this helpful? And that carries us to the next place. If it's helpful, well, then it's not going to make the trouble whirlwind worse. It's going to begin to reduce trouble. Is it constructive? The rest of verse 23 says everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Just because it falls within the parameters that, now maybe this is okay. But if it's not constructive, this probably isn't a life-giving choice. And then the last one is, is, is it to the glory of God? Oh, man, that sounds churchy. What in the world does that mean? Is it to the glory of God? <laughs> God, I do not make this be to the glory of God. <laughs> right, we don't, it's something we don't know what that means. The glory is who God is. Okay? That's who he is. Okay? And if something is going to be to the glory of him, it's going to show his nature. And so is it helpful? Is it constructive? And does it reveal the nature of our Heavenly Father? 
as I was self-focused with my own frustration sitting in that chair in that lady's office, then my response is, I had to go, is, is me getting a little bit of an edge in my voice, is it going to be helpful? It's not going to make checks magically appear. It's not going to make their bank show that, yeah, I posted and you really do owe me this money. It's not going to do that. It wasn't helpful, it wasn't constructive, and it certainly wasn't going to reveal the nature of my heavenly father. Now being patient, and they knew that they were in the wrong, and no one would have looked at me sideways for yelling unless they knew I was a pastor. And then I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> but they was doing wrong, and they created the issues, and it was going to cascade. Folks, I'm not saying this stuff's easy. I'm just telling you, it works. That if we will invite him into the middle of our moment and release our right to be right, our right to be vindicated, our right, all of those things, begin to care about different people and love God and love others. I'm telling you, it's going to begin, you're going to see your life begin to untrouble all the way around you. If you want to dial up trouble in your life, well, then you make it all about you. You make it all about you. And the trouble will get uglier and uglier and uglier. If you begin to focus on some others, you begin to love God and love others, it'll begin to push out. 1 John 16, 13 says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Folks, bottom line, self-control is to give God control. That in Jesus, we really can live the life we were created to live. We can. We can. We can't do it on our own. Self-control isn't squeezing tight and making yourself do it. It's trust. Self-control is trusting him. I want to create a quiet moment right here. Some of you have shown up here and and you've connected with with God under this premise that somehow you're getting ready, or maybe you made the decision that you're ready to try a lot harder. You're ready to do better. You're ready to just really ramp this up, and you're recognizing right now at this moment that that is not what God's asked of you. God's not asked of you to just try harder. He's not asking you to just be less naughty. That God is asking you to trust him. To dare to believe that he saw you in your worst and loved you enough to send his son. And that Jesus paid the price and completely covered it all. And in that, there's way more involved. There was way more paid for than you can wrap your mind around. But the first thing that happens is you step over from death into life. And heaven is your home right this minute, not because of anything you've done or anything you plan to do, but that Jesus made it happen for you. And if that's you this morning and you're recognizing that, you say, I, I'm not here to say I'm going to try harder. I'm not here to say I'm going to work harder. I'm here to say that I trust Jesus and I believe he died for me and I'm going to let his spirit work in my life. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand and we'll pray with you. Awesome. Yes. 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 Awesome. Believers, I want you to lift your voice with these. 
Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you sent him for me. That his death covered my death. All the trouble and destruction I've created, he's covered it. And he's brought me life. I'm a new creation right now. And you're going to work in me from the inside out to let who you are be revealed in my life. I want that. And I trust you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand up. I'm going to pray over you as we go out of here. We will have school of ministry for those who are involved in school of ministry tonight. And uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for those, Lord, who have stepped over from death to life, even at this very minute. Lord, we thank you for you loving all of us, Heavenly Father, and that you are in Christ reconciling the world to yourself. And we are to herald that good news that the work has been done, Lord, and you have poured it out on us, Heavenly Father. Lord, I just pray that we walk out of here with a consciousness of that, Lord, that any of us, Lord, who recognize that and see that and call on your name shall be saved. Lord, we want to go out of here as messengers, Heavenly Father, of your love and your grace. Lord, that life really can be different in you, and we are so thankful for that. I pray blessings over everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.